Welcome to the Private Practice Made Perfect podcast with me, Kathy Love. I'm a business coach who helps allied health professionals run powerful and profitable businesses in the disability sector. Join me for cutting-edge interviews with leaders in the allied health and business fields, along with plenty of practical content that you can use to make your business practice perfect. Our guest on the podcast today is Rhiannon Crisp, and I'm very much looking forward to this conversation. We've just been having a bit of a catch-up. We haven't spoken for over a year, and we were comparing stories on uh, the 12 months that was. But Rhiannon, welcome, welcome, welcome. Great to have you here. Hey, Kathy. Awesome to be here. So fly us in. You um, are quite the creative OT genius and you've, you've approached business differently and in a very um, remarkable whole, wholehearted manner. Let's kind of go back to where the first part of the business started. Um, mm. Eight years ago, there's a couple of businesses and enterprises and babies since then, but right back to the start, what, uh, what, got, you, what got you into the crazy? Yeah, good question. You know, business is something I never thought I'd get into. I was never business-minded, never orientated that way. Um, You know, when I got out of uni, I went to the new graduate position at the hospital and I did that for a year but I just had itchy feet and I had to to get out and do something different. So I travelled, I went to London and I worked at a hospital there but still didn't feel really grounded in that position I um I dabbled in work rehab and then I landed a position as a pediatric OT at a special development school. And I had no, I had absolutely zero sort of background or training in that area. And this was when I was about three years out of uni. Um, in London? But I loved it. <clears throat> no, this was back in Australia, in Victoria. Oh, yeah, yeah. Country yep. thick. And I really loved it. Um uh, but then we moved into state and I had my first baby and I was like, what do I, <laughs> I've, I've done a bit of everything, but I have no idea what I'm going to do now because I don't have a job mm. to go back to. I was in a new state. So it was just really this time where I started considering, okay, what's my next move? What am I going to do? What's going to be sustainable for me and my family? Mm. Where do I see myself in five years, Mm. 10 years? What do I want life to look like? Um, I I started thinking about creating a business around my lifestyle. I didn't want my lifestyle to revolve around work. I wanted my work to revolve around my Mm. lifestyle because I love the beach. I wanted to bring my kids up the way I wanted to bring them up and Mm. and not feel called to, you know, make that sick call to my boss saying, oh, you know, I'm not well today, but really I just wanted a mental health day. You know, I really started considering Mm. how life was going to look like for me. And um, my husband said, you know, you should just start your own thing. You should do it. And fear held me back for ages. I just couldn't take the step. I, I had all these, I don't know enough. I'm not experienced enough. You know, I'd look at all the other OTs who have businesses in the area locally and I thought, what have I got to bring? You know, I've only been out of university for three (laughs) years. I'm hearing the imposter syndrome here. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm, 
Absolutely. It, it was a lot of imposter syndrome. Um, and because I said I, I was never entrepreneurial minded, nothing like this. You know, I, I just wanted to serve. I just wanted to help people. And so, yeah, I took that step after enough encouragement from my husband and I just started really small. I, I started a mobile pediatric occupational therapy business. So literally my business was in my boot. I'd take around the activities and the toys and different things in the back of my boot and just go visit families in their home. So I didn't have a traditional brick and mortar business. I wasn't investing a lot of money. I think honestly, I started with a thousand dollars in my business, and that I was started like, with three, <laughs> three thousand bucks, and a couple yeah. of milk crates worth of stuff. That's it. That's it. So you don't yeah. you don't have to start big. And to be honest, I didn't know if it was going to work out, so I didn't want to invest a lot of money into it. Um, and so yeah, I bought like my professional and public liability insurance, you know, tick the main boxes, bought a few things for the back of the boot and off I went. And I just started seeing a few clients here and there uh, that fit into my routine and my rituals that, you know, I was I was going to, um, you know, play groups and different things with my daughter. So I just kind of fitted in around my lifestyle to start with. And then eight years on, I look back and I just think, gosh, that was the best decision I ever made. <laughs> Yeah. Would you do any of it differently? I wouldn't. I've definitely learned lessons along the way. But I think where you arrive at in life is because of all those steps. It's because of all those failures. It's because of all those should have, would haves. But, you know, life kind of takes you on this course and it will take you on a different direction to what you think it will take you on. But that's part of the journey. And I think you are where you are. Because because For you meant to be there. Mm. 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 So describe home-based hope to us now, the name of your your business. What mm. does it look like now, the OT part? Sure. So home-based hope, um, you know, it's a business that's travelled with me. So it started in New South Wales and then after about three years of working there, I moved to the Northern Territory. I moved to Catherine. So it was a business that could move with me, you know, as long as I mm. could move myself and my knowledge and, and my body, I could move my business. I didn't have anything physical tying me down anywhere. So I, I worked in Catherine for three years and this was totally remote. And then now I'm back in New South Wales. Um, and I literally still do what I started eight years ago. I go and see clients, kids, predominantly children on the autism spectrum, in their home environments or in their at their school or in their preschool and work with them in a one-on-one capacity um, towards their goals. And I also do a lot of parent coaching. Along my journey and particularly working in Catherine, I started to realise the importance of working with parents and how yeah. much I loved that, being a new parent myself mm. and could see the value in that. So I started doing a lot more parent coaching um, because I could really see the benefits of that. <clears throat> Did you do any extra training around that parent coaching piece or was it a natural extension of your OT DNA? Yeah, initially it was a natural extension and I found myself mm. doing it quite naturally anyway. Mm. 
And then more recently, I have completed Dr. Fiona Graham's OPC, Occupational Performance Coaching. Yeah, which is amazing. And I love the book. I'd recommend the book to anyone if anyone wants to learn more about coaching because it's, you know, OT-based and it's an evidence-based practice intervention. Mm. Um, Start with that because I know I've thought about attending different coaching schools and trainings, Mm. but the feedback that I hear from OTs is, oh, we know it all anyway. We do all that anyway as right. OTs. So um, that's one that really sort of puts the occupational focus on it. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And and really leverages the OT skill set mm. um, as well. So it's a real 100%. extension on what OTs typically already, already know. So how does uh, your OT business support your lifestyle nowadays? Because you've got two bambinos. I do. Um, so my littlest, I've got an eight-year-old and I've got a nearly six-year-old. Um, and my littlest just started school this year. So, you know, for me, it's I wanted something where I could attend their special days. I could go to the athletics carnival if mm-hmm. I wanted or I could um, go to the Mother's Day do that they have on at the school. I wanted to try and make myself available so I could do the things that were meaningful to me. And I think we so often forget this as healthcare providers and this is where we get burnt out a lot is where we're giving back so much to our clients and helping them with their life and doing things that are meaningful to them but where we're not doing the same for our own lives. In the true spirit of blending business and life, and in this instance, pets together, we've just had a short pause to deal with a very cute puppy. Um, So back to our conversation about how the business is currently supporting you and your family and and lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Yes. So, So I'm able to attend the things that nourish me which is attending things for my family primarily. Um, You know, today is Wednesday. It's my quote-unquote home day. So I'm doing things like this podcast. I I connect with amazing OTs around the world. um, I'm doing things at home that also nourish sort of my creative spirit. I'm very creative and I love projects. Um, So I have a lot of different projects on the go. So I spend my Wednesday doing things that I love and the way the business supports that is obviously I get paid more because I'm running my own business. I'm not working for someone. Mm -hmm. Um, And also over time I have started to dive into the online space. So Mm -hmm. my business has really evolved. So it started obviously I'm still doing the one-on-one occupational therapy with kids but then when I was in Catherine actually I was like you know what I want to reach a bigger audience I have got a message that more parents need to hear and so I created a podcast and I thought this is great you know I can't reach many people in the middle of the Australian desert but if I start a podcast I can reach people worldwide And I started to do that and, again, there were those blocks, there were those fears, there were those imposter syndrome thoughts, but I did it anyway. And it was just taking that first step. It's just taking that first step and then the next step and then you kind of follow the path that unfolds as you start to walk down it. 
And then I created an online summit because I saw someone else do it. I thought, oh, that's really interesting. I could do that too. And it could be a great way not only to serve the community that I want to serve, but also as a great way for me to make money. Um, And, you know, at this point I was living in Catherine. I didn't have a big client load and a lot of that was because my two kids were young and were still at home but I could do things after hours at night to to create an income for myself mm. and that's when I tucked them into bed I was staying up at, late at night tapping on the keyboard creating different things and I started to create different income streams for myself so initially it was just um yeah, well, the podcast didn't make any money for me, but it was a good way to lead people to different part of, things. Part of yeah. the ecos- ecosystem, yeah. 100%. Yeah, yeah. But I didn't have ads or anything like that. Um, I created an online autism summit. And at the time, I just thought, you know, I have no idea if anyone will attend this. Like, this is just, this is my creative side coming out. And I had 500 people attend. Um and it was something that generated, it was over $50,000 in the month that I created it. And I just thought, you know, as a mum, as an OT who's only working really a few hours a week at that stage, to create something in a month that generated that kind of income, I just thought, wow. And then it was evergreen because I, it would keep selling. Yeah. People would continue to purchase. And I started looking into residual income And I think this is something that can really support your lifestyle because it's something where you do the work once and you continue to get paid for it long after your original effort. So, you know, I I did 20 interviews for this summit and I, I did a lot of the background, back work, like I did everything. The only thing I really outsourced was getting someone to create the website. Um, I did the marketing, the advertising, everything. And I it was just the start. It was, the seed was kind of planted. Okay, well, this is great. How how can I continue to do this? What else can I do? How else can I serve? And since then, I've created two other summits. Um, I've created more online resources. And it's just another avenue. It's just another arm to mm-hmm. my business. But where sort of where my business is headed now is it, it's I've got two sort of main arms. The main arm is home-based hope, which is the pediatric OT work. And the other arm is the OT lifestyle movement. So I started this in COVID nearly over a year ago now, because over my journey as being an OT, I I got burnt out and I kind of got a bit frustrated with the profession and fell out of love with it and didn't think I wanted to do it anymore. I studied different things. I became a personal trainer and, you know, I just, I didn't know where I fit in anymore. And, um, and then I thought, you know, may, maybe there's other OTs who feel the same way. And when I started to talk to people I realized that there were so many OTs who had hit a point in their career where they were like bored or frustrated or just felt jaded by the profession. And I, at that point, I'd kind of come back, I thought, because I just realized OT was amazing. And I wanted to share this with more OTs that there's so much possibility, there's so much potential within our profession. Because I found a lot of OTs like myself, I was on this personal development journey. I was improving my health. I was, um, 
doing a lot of things for myself, but my I felt like my professional career wasn't sort of moving along as much as I'd like it to. And I wanted to start incorporating things that I do for my own wellness into the work that I do with the people that I work with. Um, so like healthy eating habits and mindfulness and that coaching. And I just wasn't sure, can I do it? What's the scope of practice? I really felt hemmed in and I didn't know. So kind of went on this journey and created the OT lifestyle movement um, to inspire other OTs to do work that really matters to them because there's so much that's possible within the profession. Yeah, it's um, such an amazing story of how you have very um, deeply understood essentially your intellectual property and the value that that has to others, whether it's your little kiddo clients or your mum and dad clients or other other rotees and kind of bundled it up and um, messaged it out there. And um, yeah, it's a great example of that reoccurring income piece or yeah, you know, long trail income. I often get asked uh, by people, how do I develop a passive stream of income? And um, no one will probably ever ask me this again, but I actually try not to laugh because there is nothing, there is rarely anything passive about income. Maybe if you've inherited a lot, but in the adventure towards um, creating, you know, your own intelligences and your own experiences and your own value that you bring to who you want to serve, you've invested, you've invested along the way. So there's nothing passive about getting getting this um, this stuff in your head that has um, potential to be turned into an online this or a show up for that or a podcast for this or an experience for something something else so um, yeah it's it's a it's a great uh, it's a great 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 example and you know the other example that you spoke to about OTs wondering about where their edges are I hear about that a lot well am I a yoga teacher or an OT am I a meditation practitioner or am I an OT and am I an athlete or am I an OT am I a musician or an OT and for some reason we feel that OT has just kind of got this iron ring around it and it doesn't have to be like that I don't think no no it certainly doesn't and so that after asking all these questions like what's possible can I incorporate this into my work what's the scope of practice I started talking to a lot of OTs from different countries and finding out what they did and sort of just scoping out the possibilities. And I actually created another summit, which is called the OT Wellbeing Summit. And we spoke to OTs who incorporate acupressure, Reiki, um, mindfulness, meditation, intuition, like all these incredible Mm -hmm. things, yoga, into their work and I thought what Reiki can be incorporated acupressure you know all these things I thought really I've spoken to OTs so I have a podcast called the OT lifestyle movement podcast I've spoken to OTs here in Australia who use um, craniosacral therapy you know Mm -hmm. lots of different methods and as long as the modality is supporting a person to reach their occupational goals that are participation and engagement focused, then they can incorporate it as part of their intervention or as part of, um, you know, occupation can either be the intervention or it can be the overarching therapy goal. 
So looking at those two. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Tell us a little bit more about the OT lifestyle movement. What does it look like? What does the website look like? What? How can people participate? Mm. So I started, you know, it's interesting. I spoke to a year before I started it, I had this thought and this tapping on the shoulder saying, hey, you know, you should start this OT lifestyle movement. And I kind of shrugged it off thinking, you know, I don't have time. I'm busy running my own business. And when I say someone tapping on my shoulder, I'm talking about my own thoughts here, you know, just just these Yeah, but it's an expression. It could be concrete (laughs) or it can be just a real wake-up call. Yeah, yeah. And um, I just thought I don't have time. But I reached out to someone who was very inspiring to me. I don't know if you know Jen Gash from the UK. She's an occupational therapist. She calls herself OT coach. An artist. Yeah, Yeah, she's incredible. And I interviewed her for I'm not sure what, at the time, but I just said, I wanted to have a chat with you. I think I'm going to create something. And I had a chat to her regarding entrepreneurship, around occupational therapy, around what's possible. And I didn't do anything for a year after that interview. I kind of just held on to it thinking, I'm not sure what direction I'm headed. And and then that then that thought just wouldn't leave me alone. And I've kind of realized now that if your vision doesn't leave you alone, you've kind of got to act on it or it's going to find another vessel. You know, it's going to express itself through someone else. So I, I, I literally just started creating like a website and I put myself out on social media, on Instagram. I created a Facebook page and a group and I really wanted a community of OTs who who I initially thought would be like-minded OTs, you know, OTs who um, who were looking for purpose and to relight that passion within the profession for themselves. But I realised, you know, it takes a whole, a whole lot of different kinds of people to get together to create a community. And people have just been so incredibly um, grateful for a place to talk about the profession and work out what other OTs are doing around the world and to to find themselves again. You know, it, it comes back to doing work that matters to you because at the end of the day, you know, so many healthcare professionals are in jobs and this is where I was. I was just going through Monday to Friday in a job that I didn't really love. I get to the end of the week, I'd celebrate Friday so I could live my life on the weekend and then I'd go back to work dreading, you know, that week until Friday rolled around again. And I, I just knew that wasn't any way that I wanted to live my life and I wasn't being creative. I just really felt hemmed in. So so having a space, a safe space for other OTs to talk about their dreams and their desires and what they want to create. I'm finding there's lots and lots of entrepreneurial therapists out there who Mm, have something but again like myself you know fears holding them back or they're not sure where to start and I think my best advice for them is to just start is you don't need to know the Mm. final chapter before you take that first step and if I hadn't have taken that first step eight years ago 
I definitely wouldn't have been where I am today. And the path hasn't been linear. It's been wonky and I've taken detours and gone off on different paths. Mm. But I, I really feel like everything that I have done has led me to where I am now. And I love what I'm doing now. I love being able to put on my pediatric OT hat and work with the kids that I, I see and the parents. And then I love being able to come home and create content. Like at the moment, I'm creating a documentary for the OT profession. Um, and I can just, you know, there's no rules. There's there's nothing no. limiting. Only the ones you impose on yourself because <laughs> you think you should, but they're kind of, they're just there as part of fear as a rule. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, the world is your oyster. You can, you can do anything and everything. And I feel too, like, I feel like we do put too many rules on ourselves and the more incredible OTs that I speak to, you know, I've spoken to Winnie Dunn and Michael Awama and Charles Christensen and all these leading OTs um, who are now in their seventies and eighties they say that, um, I don't know, like we kind of, are, we're not thinking big enough. We're not thinking yeah. big enough for yep. the profession, like yeah. staying small. Um, they say that we need leaders. They need people to step up and we're kind of just doing things the way they've same always same. been done. Yeah, without saying, mm. hey, you know, we are the current we are the current generation Guardians. Mm. of OT. You know, the future of OT is in our hands. They've kind of passed on the baton now and they're waiting for us to go, okay, where is this headed? And part of the OT lifestyle movement is about incorporating like well-being, like really returning to our roots of mind, body, spirit, looking at spirituality. Mm. You know, I did a post the other day and it said something like, you know, if we if we have a patient who has a hip fracture, that might not be the number one reason why we see them in terms of the biomechanics mm-hmm. and the pain and the limited range of movement. Maybe it's they're on more of a spiritual journey right now because they can no longer participate in that marathon that they had planned at the end of the year. And so we need to help them in that that soul journey of theirs so Mm -hmm. it's really coming back to the roots and looking at the art and the science and combining that and looking at um the whole person and and not taking a reductionistic kind of mechanistic medical 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 model medical model approach please release (laughs) please release goodness Mm. goodness so I want to ask you a question about, um, it's a bit of a sidetrack, um, but I'm curious on your thoughts of um, being a role model for your girls in terms of having no limits and having a global approach to lifestyle and, and impact. How, how are you hearing them think and play and express themselves as next gen? Mm, gosh, I, lo- I love this question. It's so good. It speaks to my soul because I, I have always wanted to be a really good role model for my kids. And mm. when I look back, when I was a new mum, I was a personal trainer at that stage and I wasn't doing OT 
because personal training was like, you know, for those sort of first, I don't know, seven months of being a new mum. And I I would just do everything with them. I'd walk with them. I'd squat with them, you know, when I was doing training. And now, you know, eight years on, I see my girls wanting to do those things, you know, they're, they're wanting to run, they're wanting to come with me for a workout. And we really are models, you know, our kids will look up to us and copy us. They're, they're little copycats. They'll want to do the mm-hmm. same, same. Mm. And so it's really about being mindful about how I talk, catching yeah. myself when my regulation isn't on point and or just, self-limiting beliefs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. And yeah, just being mindful about how I the way I show up, the way I talk. And it's hard, right? As parents, like we've got so much going on. We're juggling motherhood and business and life. And um, you know, the, the kids are arguing and I it, it comes back to, you know, so often I'm trying to be my own OT. And I think this is what we <laughs> what we try and do a lot of is okay, what are we gonna do? And um, you know, the kids are fighting. Okay, I need to regulate myself. What can I do? I need to take a deep breath before I enter it. Um, and so I really try and practice OT on myself. But I, I don't want my girls to feel like there's there is any limitation on what's possible. Yeah. I don't. And I also, when we look at schooling, I don't want them to feel like they need to get the good grades. You know, I've really taken a step back from, because I was, I was so hard on myself at school. I was the A plus student. I wanted to get good marks. I wanted mm. to um, just do the best that I could do. But sometimes to my own personal detriment in terms of just fatigue and not, not looking after myself so well. Um, and I, I just say to my girls, you know, I don't care what you get on the test because my eldest is very self-critical and, and judges herself if she doesn't do really well. And I said, I don't, I don't care as long as you do your best at that time. Mm. Um, and I think it's such an important message because you don't need to finish school or you don't need to get a degree. Like the, I really feel like in today's day and age, you can create an online business or whatever your skills are. School isn't always very reflective, particularly of the kids with creative spirits who are good at the arts or great at music or have entrepreneurial ideas. School is kind of really, again, like systems and do it this way. This is how it must be done. It really prepares you to be an employee, actually, um, and doesn't get you think doesn't get you yeah. thinking critically or questioning things um Mm. so I just really encourage my girls to question things and to do their best in the moment and I try and be a model for that as much as I can yeah it'll be fascinating witnessing their uh their strengths as they emerge and their doubts and the way they take opportunities and risk and give things a go or not quite it's been one of the the most fascinating parts of um, parenthood for for me to date as well. Mm. And how um, old are your kids, Kathy? 
they're in their late twenties now. Yeah. So um, partners in crime is probably a better <laughs> expression, I think, at the moment. Um, but we we sort of took an approach that independence is your ticket to freedom, and so we had mm. very very independent kids who cooked and cleaned, and we never called it chores. They, you know, they were doing loads of laundry when they were six. You know, they were mm. making their lunches. They were really helpful, helpful humans because that is that is in independence um mm. we also raised them to be global citizens and to have thoughts on others and other places and traveled with them as much as we kind of kind of could um mm. and kind of built those opportunities in and if we couldn't travel we read and met and lived in a pretty you know some multicultural kind of environments um as well but um we always believed uh that there was more to an education than school so on many a, a moment um, I'd just go and get the kids out of school and you know the school principal would come in and she would say where is team love off to and I would say there's more <laughs> than an education than school and she would hold the front door open for us and we were going home to you know pick apples and bake them or we might have been mm. going down to the river or we might have been going to sit on the beach and have have an early dinner or whatever it was and so um, you know in those days my business was only just supporting that lifestyle it was it was a pretty kind of fragile moving of the parts at that point but when you know there was an hour that um, we could all escape and do what um, what uh, gave us fun yeah, mm. we were we were out of there. We mm. were out of there. And I it's been that. fascinating watching yeah, watching them grow up as um as kids of yeah, two kind of business two business owners um mm. as well. And mm -hmm. yeah, they've they've got that uh DNA spark there as as well. Mm -hmm. Their stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Amazing. They've been selling yeah, they've been selling stuff out of their lockers. They've been selling their art online. <laughs> they've contracted work out. They've always, um, always had jobs or different projects or enterprises on the on the go. Um, yeah, yeah. One's already kind of self-employed and has been for quite some time. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, it's yeah. You know, we got a. It's yeah. I think it's a really interesting opportunity that we just make assumptions about that. Um, that it might kind of, yeah, we assume that the right things will just by osmosis land with our kids and families. But mm -hmm. to bring that to consciousness, I think it's very cool. Mm. No, I love that. That's very cool. Mm. So where, what, what else have you learned about your business adventure so far? Given the two businesses, given the summits, what, mm. what have your learnings been? Mm. My learnings have been follow follow your passions, like do something. If you're going to start a business, do something that you love, do something that you think is going to be sustainable for the long term, because you don't start a business thinking you're not going to be doing it in two years time. Um, and although I didn't have the vision at the start when my husband was sort of encouraging me to start, I, I did start with, um, I don't know, just a sense that things, opportunities would arise and things would unfold as I began the journey. And they, they definitely did. So don't feel like, I didn't feel like I had to know everything on everything. Um, Let alone where it was going to lead or end. No, no. Well, that's it. And the future, like you can create anything, like there is no cap on the possibilities. There's no cap on your potential. And business allows you to really shine. 
And I, I mean, I love entrepreneurs because they don't think anything is not possible. They entrepreneurs are <laughs> just always a just how like, and Yes, yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. So I think it's amazing, and I think we need more therapy entrepreneurs like who are stepping out there, doing bold things, um, and getting the support. You know, finding people who also support the same work that you are interested in because it's so much better. And I wish I had a founder community sooner in my business journey um, just to bounce questions off, just to have mm-hmm. someone as a sounding board to say, hey, yeah, that's a good idea or, oh, have you thought about this? Um, and so, yeah, I think community and that support is really important. Um in terms of like productivity, outsourcing, you know, if someone can do the work in half the time and half the price, then get someone else to do it. Like, yeah. for example, my website in the beginning days, I spent hours and hours trying to develop my own website when I could have paid someone, saved a lot of time and energy and effort doing it. Um, and there's heaps of different things that you can outsource and delegate in a business. So work out where is your time being spent and can someone do it better and quicker for you um, because it's so worth it. All the while moving money and financial energy around the planet as well, which mm. has ne- never been needed more than more than now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and be okay with earning money. You know, I think sometimes... Yeah earning money, people have money blocks and um, taking money, you know, quote-unquote, not taking money, but receiving money from clients because, you you know, I think as a helping profession we think, you know, it's hard to receive money from someone who really needs that help. Um, And in the early days, honestly, I didn't bill for a lot. I could have been billing for a lot more. I'd write a report and... I charged like half an hour, but it took me three and a half hours or, you know, like I just, I was like, oh, but they can't afford it. You know, I had all these stories in my head. And at the end of the day, it's got to be something that that is sustainable and that you have your own business sort of practices around, even though, you know, it's just me and my business, you know, I can be a bit more flexible because I don't have a whole team where there's got to be all these strict Mm. systems in place. I can have that flexibility a little bit discretion um but yeah just back yourself just own it and go for it because there's always going to be something that's going to hold you back in some area and yeah if you find that team of support you're going to accelerate and you're going to go forward a lot quicker than what you would otherwise yeah i couldn't completely completely agree so you've given us a little clue that there's a documentary in your future. Any other kind of uh, little gems you can leave us uh, leave us with about where you're kind of heading? Yeah. So, I mean, in terms of my businesses, I'm going to continue like the local OT work that I do. My plan is to grow the OT lifestyle movement um, and really that's it started as a passion project. It was something to create a community and connect and I I do a lot of my creative projects in that. So there's the, the podcast, which I love. There's the summit. There is, yeah, this documentary it, and 
it's really the doco is really about inspiring OTs who have feel like they've lost their passion and their purpose and reigniting that um, and also taking sort of a dive and a look into the history of the profession and what occupational therapy is all about and what it means and just to inspire that because I, I felt like that's what I really needed. I'm creating something that I wanted, you know, yep, five years ago and, and, and at different points along my journey too. So yeah. there's that. I'd love to write a book. I mean, there's so many things. I think there's just so, there's so much that I want to do, <laughs> Kathy. And I feel like it comes back to time and priorities and, and working out where to best spend that. Um, mm. So it's always a juggle. But, um, yeah, Turn there's, your podcast there's lots into in the a book. pipeline. Yeah. I've got an idea for the book. I, I'm right. I like literally I'm always writing little notes. Like I'll be listening to a different podcast and I listen to a, a whole range of different kinds of podcasts and I'm like, oh, that's a great, like it'll trigger a thought and I'll go home and I'll add it to my book, you know, list. You know, I've already got chapters and things that I want to do. I just I don't have the time at the moment to carve out all this time for all these creative projects. I'm kind of like that yeah. visionary, always got different things. So many ideas. <laughs> I know. So little time. Yeah, so many that's, ideas. That's me. Yeah. But um, yeah. It's always it's Thank always you. for service. You know, we've all like when we're creating a business, it's got to be serving. It's got to be helping someone with their pain point. If we are not doing that, you're not going to have a viable business. So always reassessing and looking at your business and asking, who am I helping? How am I helping them? What do they need most help with right now? And mm. and even asking the questions, you know, sometimes we just forget to ask the questions to our clients. You know, those really basic questions. Um, what do you need right now? What's most important to you? And if yeah. you can help, What's the them best thing that, I can help you with. Mm, yeah, yeah. If we can start there, they're going to have a great business because the best marketing tool is word of mouth. That, yeah. you know, if we can get people in our local area, if we've got a local business, even online, people share, you know, the OT Lifestyle Movement I started a year ago and the podcast has had over 25,000 downloads. We've got over 1,000 members in the Facebook community. It just, it spreads when someone deeply resonates with the information that you're sharing, with the knowledge that you have, with the ways that you're helping someone else, mm -hmm. then they want to be part of it or they can see themselves working with you. So, yeah. Mm. Oh, so good. So good. Thank you so much for coming in and sharing your adventure to date. I suspect there's going to be further installments. So make sure you let us know yeah. when you're needing uh, to kind of get that documentary out there or whatever else that you're up to. Just give us a shout. Yeah. Well, if anyone wants to find out about the podcast or um, the well, OT Wellbeing Summit or the doco, that will all be up on the website, which is otlifestylemovement.com. We will put all those links into the show notes as well. Awesome. Thank you so much, Rihanna. Awesome. Cheers. Thanks, Kathy. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Private Practice Made Perfect podcast. For show notes and other resources, please visit practicemadeperfectpodcast.com. 
While you are there, you can subscribe for future episodes and continue your business adventure with me. And please be sure to share this and other episodes with your friends and colleagues. The Private Practice Made Perfect podcast is brought to you by Experts on Air Podcast Network.